Good morning, church. I love you. I appreciate you. I love talking about what Jesus is doing in us and through us and sometimes in spite of us. Uh, and we're talking this month about how it is God's vision and how it's always been God's vision. From the very beginning of time, it has always been God's vision to unite humanity in Jesus. To bring humanity together into a single family, into a single kingdom, in all of our beautiful diversity, in all of our differences, God wants to unite all of us in Christ, to bring all of Adam and Eve's children into one unified family in Christ. And as I was thinking about this and the, the challenges that go along with being part of a multi-ethnic kingdom, a multi-ethnic family, I was thinking about something that happened a few months ago. I was in Lubbock for a conference, and I was speaking at a conference uh, for a week or so, and on Saturday morning, the conference ended about 11 o'clock or so, but my flight didn't leave Lubbock until that evening, until like 6 o'clock, so I had several hours to kill, and there was this wonderful missionary couple who volunteered to take me to the airport, sort of take care of me that afternoon. Now, just imagine that. Y'all got to put up with me for 30 minutes. They had me for like six hours or something. And so we, we went to lunch, and we talked at lunch a lot about culture, because that's what I had been teaching about that week, and it was on my mind. And they had spent years in South America and so we talked about the differences between the way Americans tend to think about things and the way Chileans tend to think about things. And we talked about differences in culture and, and just different ideas and concepts and the, the, the tensions that sometimes exist, the things that go without being said, assumptions that people make and challenges that we have on getting on the same page about things. And then we got in the car after lunch and again, we had several hours to kill. And so I suggested, well, listen, listen, instead of y'all having to take me back home and, and sort of put up with me all afternoon, why don't you just take me to the airport and you can drop me off early at the airport. I've got my laptop. I can do a bunch of work. It'll be good for me. You guys can go home and you can rest. And they were really quiet. And they were thinking, and I was like, ah, did I say something wrong? Maybe I shouldn't have suggested that. And they were actually going through a cultural conundrum in their head. They were Americans, and so they understood that what I was su suggesting, I was suggesting because I was trying to be polite. We value efficiency. We, we value time. And, and so they knew that what I was trying to say is, I want to value your time, and I don't want you to have to spend your time taking care of me, so why don't you drop me off? And I was trying to be thoughtful, but they were thinking about if that suggestion had been made when they were living in South America, it would have been interpreted totally differently, because there they value hospitality far more than efficiency. And, and if I had made that suggestion to a Chilean family, they would have thought, oh, Wes doesn't like us very much. He's trying to get rid of us. He would rather sit in a half-empty airport than he would spend time with us. 
And, and although this couple wanted to go home and take a nap, and so they kind of wanted to get rid of me, they felt guilty because they had been so trained by that culture to value hospitality. So they were going through this cultural conundrum, but we were able to talk about it and kind of put it out there on the table and discuss if this had happened between two people from two different cultures who didn't really understand each other, then it would have just ended with hurt feelings and assumptions being made. See, this is what we're talking about when we're talking about a multi-ethnic family. So often we just think about physical features. And, and that's, not, that's not entirely what we're talking about here. Because yes, humanity is made up of diversity of physical features. And yes, we, we look different sometimes and we have different features. And yes, we have to deal with the horrible sin of racism. And racism specifically is the sin of devaluing people. The sin of discriminating against people based on their physical features. Racism is the assumption, the belief, the twisted belief that you belong to a biologically superior class of people. But that's not the only sin we have to deal with. We also have to deal with the sin of being what we might call ethnic supremacists. I was really struggling to come up with a, a good way to describe what we're talking about. The sin of being ethnic supremacists. And again, that, that may or may not have overlap with physical features. That's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is our customs, our traditions, our culture, our way of thinking. And we all have one. We all have an ethnicity. We all have culture and traditions and values and things that most of the time we don't even recognize. Oh, oh. I think that way because of where I grew up. Oh, I think that way because of where I came from. Oh, I think that way because of my shared history with this group of people. And most of the time, we, we don't even have the words to articulate all of our customs and our cultures and our assumptions and our traditions. But if we're not careful, we can be guilty of the sin of ethnic supremacy in thinking that, well, my customs and my traditions and my cultures are the right ones and yours are the wrong ones. And if you think differently or do differently or have different ways of thinking about the world, yours are wrong and mine are right. You see, Jesus wants to not only forgive us of this sin, but Jesus wants to cure us of this sin. Jesus wants to heal us of this sin. Jesus wants to take this pride out of us. This pride that says, my customs, my culture, my traditions, where I come from, we do things right and everybody else is just weird and they're wrong and they shouldn't do it like that. Because when we come together in a multi-ethnic family, when we come together in a multi-ethnic kingdom, and we just, we just shared the bread and the cup, didn't we? And as we did that, as we shared the bread and the cup, we weren't just sharing it with the people in this room. There is a multi-ethnic family gathered right here, right now. 
but we were sharing it with our multi-ethnic family across the globe. People that don't speak the same language, people that don't have the same customs, people that don't have the same culture, people that don't wear the same clothes, people that don't eat the same food. We were sharing it with our brothers and sisters across the globe. And we have to allow the gospel to confront this pride in us, to confront this sin in us. And before I might say, oh, well, I, I, wouldn't, I would never, I would never be guilty of this kind of a thing. I would never be guilty of thinking my customs and culture are the right ones and other people's are the wrong ones. Before I get so quick to say I could never struggle with this, we should recognize that the apostles struggled with this. The apostles struggled with this. After they spent years with Jesus, after the Holy Spirit fell upon them, after they were commissioned to go and preach the good news to all people, they still struggled with the sin of being ethnic supremacists. And if they could struggle with that, then Wes could struggle with that. And you might struggle with that. So let's think about our text. Last week, we talked about Acts chapter 10. And we talked about Cornelius, this Roman centurion, and how Jewish people might have thought about this Roman. But today we sort of pick up the other side of the story. Because while Cornelius was seeing a vision, while Cornelius was being communicated to by God, pretty soon thereafter, Peter, the apostle, was being communicated to by God. Look at Acts chapter 10 and verse 9. It says, The next day, as they, that's the servants who were coming from Cornelius, were on their journey and approaching the city. Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. That's... That's a weird trance, isn't it? That's a weird vision that he is seeing. A couple things to notice. One is the, the four corners, probably representing the four corners of the earth. We're talking about something that's supposed to visualize something worldwide. And it's filled with all kinds of different animals. And, and we might think, I might think, because I, I really like pig. I mean, I really, I like bacon, I like ham, Pulled pork, there is nothing better than pulled pork. I mean, I like it all. I mean, whatever it is, I like it. So there was, there was probably a pig in that sheet that was being let down. And, and I might look at that and think, oh, Peter, oh, now, now you're going to get to taste what, what pork tastes like. Now, I mean, this is, this is going to be good. But as much as we might think pork tastes good, Peter did not long to eat pork. Peter longed to eat pork about as much as most of us would long to eat a cockroach or a rat. Because there are things that your culture teaches you, we don't eat that. We, we don't eat that. People like us don't eat things like that. And so when the Lord told him, rise, kill, and eat, this wasn't an invitation. It wasn't like, hey, if you want to, pick out something in there that you might enjoy. No, it was a command. Eat all this stuff. Peter was appalled 
both his taste buds and his morals, his scruples. We don't eat things like that. I could never, I would never, I have never, I don't want to. No, I'm not going to eat anything like that. So verse 14, Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I've never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time, What God has made clean do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Peter is arguing with God. God is saying, you will rise, and you will kill, and you will eat this stuff. And Peter said, I don't think so. I'm not eating that. Some people may eat stuff like that. Other people may eat stuff like that. But I'm a clean person. And they're unclean people. And unclean people eat unclean food. People who aren't like me eat food like that. But people like me don't eat food like that. In fact, this story is very reminiscent of a story that we find in Ezekiel chapter 4. Ezekiel was told to cook his food over human waste. And Ezekiel said, I've never defiled myself. From my youth up until now, I've never eaten what died of itself or was torn by beasts, nor has tainted meat come into my mouth. And God honored the fact that Ezekiel argued and said, I'm not going to eat that. I'm not going to do that. And God said, okay, I'll, I'll change what I, I told you. And he was able to cook it over cow waste. And so maybe Peter thought something like that was going to happen here. God, surely you don't mean that. Surely I don't have to do that. Surely you don't expect me to expand my menu and eat the things that people from other places eat the things that unclean people eat. And the Lord says to him three times, don't call what I made clean, don't call it unclean. This isn't, this isn't an invitation. It's a command. Look at verse 17. Now while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, Behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise, and go down, and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. Peter wakes up from this trance. He, he kind of comes to himself, and he's just perplexed. What in the world does this mean? Why would God tell me to eat food that I've always considered unclean? Why would he say that it's clean? Why would he say that, that I don't have to be restricted by these laws? Not only do I not have to be restricted, I can't be restricted by these laws anymore. Why, why would he say that? And he doesn't have to wonder very long because men come to his door and the Lord says, the Spirit says, hey, I've sent those men. Go with them. From the very beginning of this story to the very end of this story, one thing is very clear. This is all orchestrated by the Lord. This wasn't Cornelius' idea. This wasn't Peter's idea. This wasn't any human being's idea. This was the Lord's idea. This is the Lord's idea. What's going on here, this bringing together of Jewish people and Roman people, this bringing together of every ethnicity, 
this bringing together of every nation, this bringing together from, of diverse people, this was the Lord's doing. And, and that means, one, God gets the glory for it, but also, two, if you fight against it, you're fighting against the Lord. If you fight against this, you're fighting against the Lord. Verse 21, and Peter went down to the men and said, I'm the one you're looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. Again, who's arranging this meeting? God is. From the beginning to the end. It was an angel that's, that prompted this meeting. Verse 23, so Peter invited them in to be his guests. The next day he rose and went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. Peter's already starting to get the message. It's already starting to sink in. He's inviting these Gentiles into his home to be his guests. And he's realizing, oh, this must be what the vision was all about, that it's time for a bigger table. It's time for a bigger table. And it's not okay for my table to be exclusively Jewish anymore. It's not okay for my table to be exclusively Jewish anymore. It's not okay for me only to eat with people who eat like me. It's not okay for me to only eat with people who look like me. It's not okay to only eat with people who talk like me. It's not okay for me to only associate with people who are like me. God is saying it's time for a bigger table. And God is less interested about what's on the table as he is who's at the table. Peter had to recognize that these food laws had to be taken away, not so that Peter could enjoy pulled pork, not so that Peter could have pork chops, not so that Peter could have bacon, so that Peter could eat with the people who had pork chops, so that Peter could associate with and be family with the people who ate these foods. These food laws had to be taken away so that Peter could embrace as his new brothers and sisters people of every ethnic group. This was the will of God. This is what God is doing in Peter's heart. And Peter was resistant to it. Because this isn't the only story about Peter being resistant to this message. And it took a while for it to really sink in. But he's starting to get the picture that God is less interested about what's on the table as he is who's at the table. And there's something for us to ponder as well, isn't there? Who's at your table? Who's at your table? Because it's really easy. It's really easy to associate with and eat with and spend time with people where there's no misunderstandings. And as soon as, soon as you begin to build relationships with people who think a little bit differently or come from a different culture or have a different ethnicity, then there's going to be some misunderstandings. But here's the thing. Not only might they be a better person because of it, surely you will be a better person because of it. Jesus wasn't just concerned about saving Cornelius. Jesus was concerned about saving Peter as well. Peter needed to be saved from his pride 
Peter needed to be saved from his feelings and beliefs of superiority. That his ethnic group was the right ethnic group. Look at verse 24. And on the following day, they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them, and he called together his relatives and close friends. And when Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. And Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up! I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me. Again, this is God orchestrating this. God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. You see, Peter's getting the message, isn't he? That it's not about what's on the table, it's about who's at the table. God has shown me that I shouldn't call you, Cornelius, common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then why you have sent for me. See, Peter is saying, God is working on me. It's not just about God saving Cornelius. It's about Jesus saving Peter as well. Peter needs to be saved. And it's very easy for us to think about all those lost people out there who need the gospel of Jesus, and surely they do. But we need the gospel of Jesus too. And we need multi-ethnic friendships too. Because multi-ethnic friendships help us to think differently about ourselves and think differently about others, think differently about God, think differently about the world. By bringing these two people together, Jesus is saving them both. Look at verse 30. Cornelius said, Four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who's called Peter. He's lodging in the house of Simon a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once, and you've been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. Now, if you've been just reading this story up to this point, this is the third time in detail Luke has recorded this story for the reader. It's not cheap in the first century to repeat yourself. Preachers get to repeat themselves all the time because words spoken out loud are pretty cheap. But when you're writing on paper... That paper and ink in the first century are expensive. And you don't repeat yourself for no reason. The fact that this story is told three times is so that everybody reading it would understand this vision of a multi-ethnic family of Jewish people and Gentile people being one family in Christ. This is not the idea of man. It's the idea of God. And God gets the glory, and if you fight against it, you're fighting against the will of God. God wants to bring together into his family people of every ethnic group. And it's hard because they thought very differently, had very different traditions, had very different politics, had very different ways of thinking about life and strength and power and everything. But God was working on them both. God was working on all of them, and it was God who was orchestrating this meeting. Look at verse 34. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God 
shows no partiality. The NIV says no favoritism. But in every nation, and the Greek word there for nation is ethnos, where we get the word ethnic or ethnicity, but in every ethnos, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. This entire experience on Peter's part was to teach Peter a lesson that he desperately needed to know, that God shows no favoritism, that God shows no partiality to any ethnos, to any ethnic group, which means on Peter's behalf, he needed to know that God did not show favoritism to the descendants of Abraham. What? What? That's right. God doesn't play favorites. Anyone who fears God and does what is right is accepted. God does not show favoritism towards circumcised people. What? What? That's right. Even uncircumcised people who fear God and does what is right, they are acceptable to him. God does not show favoritism towards people who only eat kosher foods. What? What? God, God loves pork eaters too? Yeah. Anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. God does not show favoritism to Sabbath keepers. What? What? God loves these Gentiles who work on Saturday? Yes. Anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. Peter needed to learn this lesson. And let me ask you this question. If those whose ethnic customs came from God needed to learn God did not favor them, how much more those of every other ethnic group? How much more those of every other ethnic group? If, if these customs that Peter is really concerned about preserving and that so many others are really concerned about preserving. We've got to preserve these customs. They came from God. If Peter's concerned about that, but God has to teach him, I don't favor the people who keep these ethnic customs. If Peter needed to learn that lesson, how much more so all of us? When our ethnic customs didn't come from God, they came from our parents and our grandparents and their grandparents, and there could be a lot of good things with them, and that's fine, and nobody's saying, don't be that way. Nobody's saying that Peter needed to not be Jewish. He's going to be Jewish. But he has to understand that God doesn't favor Jewish people over non-Jewish people. And I need to understand, God does not favor Americans over non-Americans. God does not favor people with a certain skin color. God does not favor certain people that speak a certain language. God does not favor people who wear certain clothings. God doesn't favor people who eat certain kinds of foods. If Peter needed to learn this lesson, then Wes needs to learn this lesson. If Peter needed to learn the lesson that it's time for a bigger table and it's time to check your assumptions and it's time to check your biases and it's time to check your prejudices and it's time to recognize that God doesn't favor your ethnic group above other ethnic groups 
It's time to make room at the table. Because God is making room at the table for people like Cornelius. And praise God, God is making room at the table for people like you. And people like me. Like me? Like me? A European descended American who speaks English in the 21st century? Yes, Wes, even you. God is making room at his table for people just like you. And if God has made room at his table for people like us, then who are we to not make room for each other? We've got to allow people to come to the table of God and bring their whole selves. Bring your foods. Bring your clothes. Bring your language. Bring, bring everything about who you are, and I'll bring everything about who I am. And then we'll let God sort everything out. And we'll be conformed to his image. We've got to allow God to make room at the table for other people. And we've got to make room at the table for other people. We have to choose tables and not walls. We have to choose tables and not walls. Because tables, tables make for better everybody. Cornelius was better because Peter came and ate at his table. Cornelius gets to be a Christian because Peter came and shared the gospel with him. Cornelius will be baptized into Jesus because they built a relationship and Peter shared the gospel with him. But it not only made Cornelius better, it made Peter better. And when you build multi-ethnic relationships and you talk to each other about customs and cultures and traditions and backgrounds, and you try to, to love each other and work together and be family in Jesus, it makes you a better person. You will be better by choosing tables, not walls. Jesus wants to tear down the walls, not just between Jews and Gentiles, but between every group of people, and God favors no ethnic group. Everyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. So that's my encouragement this week. Choose tables, not walls. Sit down at table with someone this week, someone who might look different than you, someone who might even have a different first language than you. And yes, you're going to say something that they're going to misunderstand and they're going to say something that you're going to misunderstand because you come from different backgrounds and you have different ways of thinking about the world, but it's going to make you a better person in Jesus. He wants to save us, not just in forgiving us, he wants to forgive you all of your sins, whatever your sins are. He wants to forgive you, but he also wants to save you from those sins so that we don't keep walking in them. He wants to save us from our pride. He wants to save us from being ethnic supremacists. He wants us to choose tables and not walls. If we can help you with that in any way, if you're ready to put Jesus on in baptism or we can pray with you or encourage you, we're here to help you. Our shepherds would love to meet with you after service so you can come forward now. As together we stand and sing this song.